And I'm going to invite everybody now to stand as we uh, read, uh, actually no, let's stay sitting, because it's a little long. We're going we're gonna to do the Heidelberg Catechism now, and this is the Heidelberg Catechism's introduction to the Ten Commandments. And so I'm going to read the question, and then you can all respond with the answer. Sound good? Sounds good. All right. So we can do that then. Since we have been delivered from our misery by grace through Christ without any merit of our own, why then should we do good works? Because Christ, having redeemed us by his blood, is also restoring us by his spirit into his image so that with our whole lives, we may show that we are thankful to God for his benefits, so that he may be praised through us, so that we may be assured of our faith by its fruits, and so that our godly living, our neighbors, may be won over to Christ. Can those be saved who do not turn to God from their ungrateful and unrepentant ways? By no means. Scripture tells us that no unchaste person, no idolater, adulterer, thief, no covetous person, no drunkard, slanderer, robber, or the like, will inherit the kingdom of God. So what is involved in genuine repentance or conversion? Two things, the dying away of the old self and the rising to life of the new. What is the dying away of the old self? To be genuinely sorry for sin, and more and more to hate and run away from it. What is the rising to life of the new self? Wholehearted joy in God through Christ, and a love and delight to live according to the will of God by doing every kind of good work. What are good works? Only those which are done out of true faith, conform to God's law, and are done for God's glory, and not those based on our own opinion or human tradition. What is God's law? God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above, or that is on the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the sin of parents, to the third and fourth generation of those who reject me, but showing love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you, your son, or your daughter, 
your male or female slave, your livestock, or the alien resident in your towns. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, but rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. Honor your father and your mother, so that your days may be long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or male or female slave, or ox, or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. How are these commandments divided? Into two tables. The first has four commandments, teaching us how we ought to live in relation to God. The second has six commandments, teaching us what we owe our neighbor. Let's pray. O Lord our God, we thank you for the gift of your word, and we thank you for the gift of the Heidelberg Catechism, which offers us a summary of what is taught in your word. Lord, we pray that as we reflect on your gift of the law, this day and over the next ten weeks, that you would bless us with the presence of your Holy Spirit. We pray that you would give us understanding and a sure hope in the obedience that we have in Jesus Christ. We pray that by your Spirit you would transform us more and more into the image of our Lord and Savior. And we pray now that as we meditate on the things that are taught in Scripture, that you would send your Holy Spirit to us to open our eyes, to open our ears, to open our minds, and to open our hearts to everything that it is that you would have us see and hear and know and believe. Bless us, O Lord our God, that we may bless you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Sisters and brothers, in our Lord Jesus Christ, every fall here at Community Christian Reformed Church, we try to do a series on what it means to be the church looking at what God's Word teaches us about who we are as God's chosen covenant people, this community of faith that God calls to himself for the sake of the world. And this fall, we're going to be using the Heidelberg Catechism as a guide to walk us through the Ten Commandments, helping us understand how we are called to live in gratitude for everything that God has done for us in Christ. The law of God presented in the Ten Commandments has always been important to the church, and the Reformed branch of the church, of which we are a part, is no exception. For those of you who grew up in the Christian Reformed Church, the Ten Commandments are probably very familiar. You may even remember a time when the Ten Commandments were recited in church every Sunday, like we just did, either by the pastor or by the congregation. And so when we read these words together as a church, they may fill you with great comfort, knowing that they are God's words to you as his redeemed and restored people walking in newness 
of life. For others of us, these words may seem strange, even foreign to the gospel of grace. Aren't we saved by grace and not by works? Hasn't Christ done away with the law and set us free from it? Don't we believe that in Christ there is forgiveness of sin and we are set free from the restrictions of the law? Maybe turning to the law to explore who we are as the church seems like a strange move to you. But this is where the catechism is so helpful. And the catechism forces us to recognize this tension right away when we talk about God's law. On the one hand, we confess with the Apostle Paul in Romans 3 that there is no one who is righteous, that by our own power we cannot save ourselves, we cannot do anything for ourselves. But by his grace, God has provided a way for us to achieve salvation, that Jesus Christ has paid the debt for all of our sins, that we have been freed from the impossible burden of trying to earn God's forgiveness. The scriptures assure us that God accepts us as we are. To use the old Reformation language, our salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, by the word of God alone, to God alone be the glory. Amen? And so we come to the obvious question, which the Catechism tackles head on in question and answer 86. If our salvation depends totally on Christ, and not at all on what it is that we can do, why do we bother with good works? And the answer points us to the other half of salvation. Because by his death and resurrection, Jesus doesn't just forgive our sins. He gives us a new life. To use the language of the Catechism, Jesus doesn't just redeem us by his blood. He is also restoring us by his spirit into his image. Jesus doesn't give us a get-out-of-jail-free card. He changes who we are. Salvation in Christ doesn't simply heal. It transforms. One of my professors at Calvin Seminary, Scott Jose, in one of his books, points us to a helpful analogy for this. And after hearing Pastor Carl's story about how you all became the Borg one Sunday while I was away, I thought that maybe a Star Trek story might be helpful. In the Wrath of Khan movie, the Admiral James T. Kirk and his officers watch a proposal from a scientist for Project Genesis, which is basically an interplanetary missile that destroys a planet's surface, but which destroys in order to transform. Kirk and his officers watch a simulation in which the Genesis missile is detonated on a dead moon that has no life, and a fiery explosion sweeps across the surface of the planet, consuming everything in its path. But behind the fire, there is not a burned moon. The Genesis explosion gathers up all the atoms and molecules on the moon's surface and rearranges them to create conditions for life. 
The moon's craters, mountains, valleys, and rocks are consumed in a wave of fire. But in the wake of the fire, Kirk and his admiral and his officers see a new world filled with breathable air, flowing rivers, snow-capped mountains, green continents floating in blue oceans, life out of lifelessness. And this is what happens to us when we receive God's grace. The old self that the Catechism talks about is consumed as the fire of the Holy Spirit blows through every aspect of our lives. But this fire does not destroy us. It remakes us. It takes the pieces of who we are, the spiritual molecules of our soul, so to speak, and reforms them into the new self, shaped by grace, filled with God's Spirit, fully oriented to God. And this new self, the new life that is ours in Christ, is characterized by the fruit of good works. We are not saved by these good works. They do not earn us favor with God. But we do them anyway because we have been transformed and because that is what we do. Because doing good is simply a part of who we are as the spirit-filled people of God. As the Apostle James writes in James chapter 2, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but doesn't do good? Can such a faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, I will pray for you, but does nothing about their needs, what good is that? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have good works. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. The way we say thank you to God for everything that he has done for us is by living in the way that God intends for humanity to live, allowing the Spirit to shape us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ, into the image of God. This is what I find so powerful about how the Catechism explains the law to us. The law is not about paying our debts. The law is not about currying favor with an angry God. The law is not even about making ourselves better people. The law is the tool of God's Spirit to reshape us in the image of Christ. Through the law, the Spirit guides us to die to our sinful nature, to die to our old self, and to be raised to new life in Christ, in our new self. Genuine repentance and conversion means the death of our old self and the resurrection of the new. To be genuinely sorry for sin more and more, to hate it and run away from it, and wholehearted joy in God through Christ 
a love and delight to live according to God's will by doing every kind of good work out of true faith according to God's law and for God's glory. At its root, the law is about dying to ourselves so that we may be raised with Christ. The Apostle Paul deals with pretty much this exact same question in Romans chapter 6. After tracing out the story of salvation and fall and forgiveness that we have in Christ, Paul asks the Roman Christians, What then shall we say? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may abound? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. Paul points to the spiritual reality of our lives, that God transforms us to be like Christ, buried with him in his death, raised with him in his resurrection, and now we walk in that same newness of life, guided by God's word, led by God's spirit, with every breath stepping closer and closer to union with the Savior who gave his life for us and now lives for us, drawing us to him, calling us to receive his grace, inviting us to communion with him, offering himself to us every day of our lives. The journey to holiness is the journey toward Jesus Christ. The second Adam, the head of all humankind, the Spirit of God works in us to transform us more and more to look like Jesus. We die with him in his death. We are raised with him to new life. To God be the glory. Amen. As we are united more and more to Jesus Christ, Scripture teaches us that we, in a very real way, become more human. That we become more human the more we become like Christ. God's Spirit is shaping us to be human in the way that God means for us to be, reflecting His image, which was broken in the fall but restored in the person of Jesus Christ. And because of this, the theologian Frederick Buechner tells us that the Ten Commandments are more like the laws of nature than the laws of society. The laws of society tell us how to do things safely, like driving 50 kilometers an hour down West Mount. If you don't care for speed laws, you might drive faster than 50 miles an hour down, down West Mount, and maybe you won't get hurt. But the speed limit is there to show us how to drive safely on West Mount. But the laws of nature don't tell us how to do things safely. They just tell us how things are. 
The law of gravity doesn't tell us how to drop things gently. The law of gravity just tells us that things fall when you let go of them. It's just the way things are. If you don't care for the law of gravity, that doesn't matter. It's just the way things are. Things will still fall, even if you don't like the law of gravity. And it's in our best interest to stay out of their way. And the law of God is more like the second type of law, the laws of nature. It's just the way it is. What God teaches us in the Ten Commandments is the way humanity is. It's how to be fully human, how to be human in the way that God intends. These commandments are like the blueprint of humanity. When we break these, we compromise our humanity. We compromise our created human nature, who God made us to be. When we break these commandments, we spiritually become less human. We are dehumanized. But when we live within the blueprints of what God intends for us to be, we are truly blessed. Psalm 1 says that if we live within the blueprints of how God intends for us to live, if we live according to God's law and meditate on it day and night, that we are like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither, our roots grow deep, and we blossom with blessing. But the process of becoming truly human, of being transformed to look more and more like Jesus, isn't just an individual quest for God's blessing. Even Psalm 1 ends with the assembly of the righteous standing under God's protection on the day of judgment, the community of people whose full humanity has been restored by God himself. And it's in the context of that community that the Spirit works, of this community that the Spirit works, in and through and among one another. In Romans 13, the Apostle Paul writes, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the whole law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be, are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And the reason for this, Paul says, is because the hour has come for light to shine in the darkness. And as children of the light, we ought to live in the light. And the way to do this, Paul says at the end of this passage, the way to live in the light is to clothe yourselves with Christ Jesus. To clothe yourselves with Jesus Christ, the Son of God. More and more, we look like The truth of the matter is that the Ten Commandments teach us who we are by pointing us to our Lord. God's law shows us what it means to live as God's people. 
Each commandment calls us to die to ourselves and live for Christ in a different way, in a different aspect of our lives. And as we walk through these commandments this fall, our prayer is that the Spirit would transform us all more and more to look like Jesus. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, Let's pray. O Lord, our God and our King, we come before you as a people who have nothing to offer. We come before you as a people who are broken, as a people who have failed. And yet, in that brokenness, in that weakness, in that poverty of spirit, you offer us salvation through the person of your Son, Jesus Christ. You offer us your Holy Spirit to fill our lives, to transform us through and through, to shape us and mold us more and more to look like Jesus. You offer us your word, the words of the law, of the prophets, of the gospels, of the early church, to help us see the way of light in the midst of darkness. And we pray, O oh Lord, that you would shine your light in our lives through your spirit. Transform us more and more to look like Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.